Hey guys, thanks for listening. In this episode, Matt and I welcome Dan Sanio back to the show as we take a look back at week seven. We talk about some key players, including Corey Davis, Chase Edmonds, and Melvin Gordon. We catch you up on the latest news, including trades of Emmanuel Sanders and Mohamed Sanu. And we finish off the episode with a Dynasty rookie draft do-over. You've got to check it out and see how high Terry McLaurin is drafted and how far David Montgomery falls. Thanks again for checking this out. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, we took a little break, but we're back to talk about Week 7. How have you been? I've been great. Busy as can be. It's hard to believe it's already Week 7. As usual, the season goes flying by at a rapid pace. And we're hoping to make this a much more regular thing. Hopefully, we'll be weekly once again and get back into talking Dynasty. Yes, absolutely. It, uh, and we do we do apologize for our absence. We definitely appreciate all of our listeners, and and we heard from many of you uh, during our our time away. And as Matt said, we will uh, definitely make it a priority and, and a commitment to get back on a weekly schedule. So we're going to have a new show for you every Tuesday, starting right now. There we go. As always, or, or I guess as as we had a couple times this year, we've got. Our buddy Dan Sanio, the co-host of the Dynasty Tradecast, back with us. I uh, hope you're following Dan on Twitter and catching his weekly uh, Dynasty wrap-up. Dan, how are you? I am good. I'm, I'm happy to be back. I was away for even longer uh, during the whole moving process and everything, so we're settled. Everything's good, so this, this should be a, a pretty regular thing, the the boss cleared it for Tuesdays at this time. Sounds so good. Well, we, we sure have a rock lot and roll. I'm from excited. this past week to talk about. Uh, and I think it has to start with Patrick Mahomes' injury. Uh, you, you know, we all kind of held our breath uh, last Thursday night when we saw him go down and we saw his knee uh, basically separated from the rest of his leg. It was, it was pretty nasty. And I, I think immediately everybody had to think his year's over. And then in the past, few days we've heard some good news uh, that maybe he'll only miss a month, maybe only miss a, a few weeks rather than the whole season. So a little bit of, uh, of, I guess, positive news from this situation. Dan, obviously some key players involved in this deal, not only Mahomes himself, but Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Are you, if you're, if you're a contending dynasty team and you've got these guys on your roster, are you pivoting away so you don't uh, take the, the hit while Mahomes is out? Or are you taking this chance to buy low? Well, I think the only, the only real pivot out of the Kansas City offense for me is, is the running back group because it's just been kind of really muddy and, and tough to deal with. But I think I think this is our one real opportunity to go after Mahomes if we really wanted to. And I think we've seen, you know, obviously this last week, 
Um, and even in the past, that Matt Moore is is relatively serviceable. I don't want to say he's a good quarterback, but when you surround somebody with these type of weapons, usually that elevates their game a little bit. They're a little more comfortable. The defense kind of has to play back on their heels just ever so slightly. So I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, even if we are missing Mahomes for whether it's a month, six weeks, um, knowing that there wasn't any real structural issues or, or big issues with the knee, I don't think I'm fading away because I do I do want to still have those guys in my playoff lineups if I am contending. And at this point, if I feel like I'm contending, one of those guys or two of those guys probably isn't going to drop me from contention. And we have to kind of keep that dynasty scope on us as well. We don't want to think about the next eight weeks, give or take, we we need to think about the next eight weeks and the next three years and the next five years. You know, we, we can't just go super short-sighted because of an injury. So I'm not really pivoting away. I think I think the running game will continue to be a little bit muddy, but I think if I have the opportunity, I'm going and definitely sending offers for Mahomes because this is probably the only time we have to get him. Otherwise, I'm just holding Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I look at this situation more like a – redraft issue and while he's out and it doesn't sound like it's going to be catastrophic amount of time I think Hill and Kelsey are the only two that are startable at this point I I think the offense takes a pretty big step backwards for dynasty reasons maybe you see a week or two of the Chiefs offense without Mahomes and you can get a good deal on Hardman Watkins someone not named Hill or Kelsey in the offense yeah, I, I agree with that, Matt. Uh, Hardman, to me, stands out as a player to buy right now. Uh, I think we were seeing him trend up before the injury, and if you can buy him over the over these next few weeks while, while Mahomes is out, I think that could really return a profit. Dan, you mentioned trying to buy Mahomes. Are you flipping Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson for him? Yeah, I think I'd add just a slight little bit. Um, You might not even have to, knowing that he's going to be out for a little bit. Those owners may be more susceptible to just doing a one-for-one, in which case if you can get the, I think, the locked-in Dynasty QB1 as a straight one-for-one for for Watson or Lamar Jackson, I think you really have to do it just because the the upside, I think, is greater with Mahomes than it is with, with either Watson or Lamar. As much as I love those two guys, and I think those two are definitely locked in as your QB2 and QB3, uh, you might even be able to take another step further and look at guys like maybe a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers and adding you know, a mid-piece, nothing crazy, but a mid-piece to go and try to and try to get Mahomes from that owner because we would assume if owners have Mahomes, they're probably contending pretty regularly just because he is that big of a difference maker and putting up that many points weekly. So uh, I think if those teams are contenders that have Mahomes, giving them someone with the, you know, the elite name and the big time upside, you still might be able to get them for, for a pretty decent price. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me too. And when you think dynasty and you think the, the lifespan of a Mahomes or a, a star quarterback this is a drop in the bucket, and if you can get the number one guy for him, great. In the meantime, I'm sure you can find some startable quarterback or, you know, while Mahomes is injured. If I, you could turn anyone into Mahomes at a minimal uh, throw-in value or straight up, I'm definitely doing that for including Lamar and Watson. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys for sure, and, and I really like the idea of Dan moving down to that next group, Wentz, Wilson, whoever whoever you might value in that tier, and even if you have to add more, 
trying to go get Mahomes. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Let's move on uh, for some some more bad news. Uh, this might even be worse than the injury news. Joe Mixon is he's not good. Uh, he touched the he touched the ball eleven <laughs> times last week and he gained four yards. Uh, he he did score a, a touchdown, so I guess that kind of saved his fantasy day a little bit. But we're still talking obviously about very poor production. And that's basically what we've seen all year from Mixon and from the Bengals' entire offense. I mean, we entered the league or we entered the season with Mixon as a, uh, certainly as a top 10 dynasty running back, Dan, and and he was kind of a borderline first rounder for parts of the offseason. And, and now we're just seeing this guy just bleed dynasty value by the week. What, what do we do if you have... Uh, Joe Mixon on your roster it's a tough one now because no one's really going to be sending out high-end offers for him if you if you didn't move him you know preseason if you had these types of concerns you're not seeing that return on him anymore unfortunately and and as as bad as he has looked there's a tiny little bit of that that has to go towards mediocre Andy Dalton and a bigger sliver of it going towards how bad the offensive line is in in total but Mixon has been really, really bad, and we see all of the all of the numbers about him. You know, getting getting contacted behind the line more consistently than any any other back in the league, and and it's it's just kind of a lose lose proposition. And, and a lot of times, when guys like this, who I think are ultra talented and just in a really bad spot, I'm looking at the future. Well, Mixon's not out of Cincinnati until 2021, and, and that's I mean, we're talking about a year and a half hold before they even sniff potentially being with a new spot. So I, I think if I have him, I'm probably holding, unless I could get like a top 24 or 30 asset or, or valuation. Um, but honestly, I'm not sure people are making those those types of offers for him right now unless they're complete rebuilds that are maybe two years out that um, maybe have some some aging guys that, that are worth some points and, and contenders might be willing to move. But yeah, I, I, it's a tough one with Mixon because I do still think he's got the talent to do it, um, but he has not looked good, and Cincinnati is doing him no favors. I hear you. I mean, if you have him, don't chop him. I mean, he's too talented. If you don't, though, I might take a little bit of a different stance and say, hey, Jonah Williams returns next year. Cordy Glenn hasn't been in there. They'll probably add at least one more lineman AJ Green may have a ripple effect. Uh, you know, they have some weapons. This system in its second year, I think he might be a buy low candidate. I mean, I can't give you a top twenty four or thirty six asset like you said, but I'm sure there's some pretty frustrated owners. Would either of you give a mid round or mid range twenty twenty first rounder for him? I would. I was going to say no, and I'm the one I thought that was buying this. <laughs> Well, I mean the 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 you know er, the off season you know numbers we're we're talking about probably two and a half first if not more to acquire Joe Mixon. So now if we're talking about maybe a third of the price to get to get Mixon and and now we're kind of seeing these these future firsts. We can actually start putting some names to some of these picks and and we can come up with fifteen players we might want. Um, and, and that that makes them a little more attractive, but. At the same time, if you can get someone that has the the potential to get back into the first round, I think Joe Mixon has a better opportunity to to sneak back into the first round if we see production 
than the back half of a you know the rookie draft does because if if this 2020 class is what we think it's going to be i think the wide receiver class if if you know anything else is is going to muddy that water again and change that that position and make it even deeper so some of those picks you might be able to get some of these guys in the middle of the second still that have that value so if i can flip a mid first and still be able to get somebody with my my second you know and, and get mixin at a at a position that's much more scarce right now um and while we're about to watch wide receiver i think grow to potentially a full extra round of wide receivers um I think I can I can make do with with dropping a first for Mixon. Yeah, it's a good logic, and I I mean I think even right now, like if he's on your redraft team, he's an RB two. I mean he's not junk, he's not bench. Well, he's RB thirty five right now, so he's he's actually a low end RB three on the season. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess if there's one, you know, one positive to pull from this, or, or at least one thing that kind of eases the blow for dynasty players. Most of the running backs in that tier have lost value since the start of the season. We're talking about uh, uh, David Johnson. He's he's played well for the majority of the season, but I th- I think he's probably lost value compared to what he was a, m- a month ago or six weeks ago. Le'Veon Bell is certainly trending downward. Todd Gurley, we've seen on Johnson now get hurt. Uh, we'll talk more about him later. Melvin Gordon, James Conner, all these guys are are losing value, and we're not seeing many players jump up and take their spot. So that's second tier, third tier, however you want to rank that or or consider that. It's basically, it looks the same as it did eight weeks ago. There's just a bigger gap between the top guys and and that second group. I, I guess we've seen Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette maybe establish themselves as the second tier and, and probably all the names I just mentioned now make up the third tier. Yeah, they've either gone to the moon or they've gone the opposite direction, right. basically. Um, yeah, it's 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 muddy water for sure once you get past those that top tier of running backs and, and start to slide into your RB2 section. It, it, it gets kind of ugly fast. I mentioned David Johnson there, and I think if you're talking about Week 7, you have to talk about DJ... And Chase Edmonds, his backup, who uh, obviously ended up playing uh, nearly the entire game. We saw David Johnson take the first uh, snap and the first carry of the game, and that was basically it for him. Edmonds took over, had a huge game, scored three touchdowns, finished as the RB1 for the week, and and now the Cardinals are signing uh, veteran running backs. They added uh, Alfred Morris to their roster. So that's that's not necessarily good news for David Johnson, but it obviously is good news for Chase Edmonds if you've got him on your roster. Dan, what do we what do we do with this guy? Are we selling high based on uh what what could be a career game from him or are we just seeing this as a sign of things to come and and buying before the price goes up even more? Well, I think he's definitely earned himself a a role for future. Definitely earned himself some more touches. But I'm not sure it's it's Chase Ed- Edmonds as much as it is whatever the running back is in in Arizona in this Kingsbury offense with Kyler Murray and an offense that's growing, it's getting better, it's getting better in the system. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty clear sell high for me because the team still does have David Johnson, and I I would just about guarantee that when he does come back and is fully healthy, just like he did last time, it's going to be his backfield. 
Uh, I think Kingsbury can commit to him that way. And them bringing in another running back of, you know, and it is Alfred Morris of all people. Um, you know, they, I'm guessing they've probably got guys in the practice squad they could have called up or, or other bodies that were maybe active that they could have used. But bringing in a known commodity and, and someone that's trustworthy with the ball, I, 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 I would take it more as a negative to Edmonds than anything. It's, it's not great that, that DJ's out, but Edmonds, I, I, don't th- I don't see as, as a bell cow. He's, he's a good change of pace guy. He's a good, he, he's a good complement to what DJ can do. And if anything, it'll earn him, earn him snaps um, between the tackles. I don't think it does anything for him through the air. I still think David Johnson's one of the better backs in the NFL as, as far as a pass catcher goes. But uh, Chase Edmonds might be able to give him a run for his money on the, on the ground and between the tackles. So um, I, I think we see future touches, but this is definitely an outlier game, at least from my perspective. Um, so if I can get a, a late first or an early second for him, I, I'm selling all day every day. If we're sliding down into like the late second, I'm probably thinking about holding just because he is a really nice handcuff to have. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I'd be shopping him to the Johnson owner in particular. Um, I agree with everything you said. I don't have much more to add with the exception of one thing I think we could see a lot more of because they want to be four wide and they're light at receiver is having Edmonds is basically their running back with Johnson more or less as a wide receiver. So maybe both of them are on the field together. That makes tons of sense to me. Yeah, I I like that idea. And I've seen that suggested really lots of different places the past couple weeks. So that that does seem like a legit possibility. If I say the price for Edmonds right now is less than a first, but more than a second. So if we're talking about uh, an early second and a late second, let's say that, or an early second and an early third, which side are you taking there, Dan? I want the picks. I, I think I can turn those picks into something more than than a potential handcuff or, or a, a 1B in an offense even. Because, again, we talked about the, the 2020 class just a second ago uh, when we were dealing with, with Joe Mixon. I, I think I can find something more lucrative than, than a, you know, a Chase Edmonds. I definitely want the picks. All right, guys, let's move on to the next topic. It's Corey Davis. This is another player, I think, that is really important, uh, like Edmonds, really important for dynasty owners to make a quick decision on this week. We we saw Tennessee make the change at quarterback. Ryan Tannehill came in, threw a couple touchdowns, threw for over 300 yards. That was the first time he had done that in, uh, in several years, actually. And the entire Titans offense looked completely different. Uh, I think everybody was ready for a change from Marcus Mariota, but I don't think we necessarily viewed Tannehill as a huge upgrade, and we probably still don't. But Corey Davis had a big game, saw plenty of targets, caught six balls for 80 yards and a touchdown, and and finished as a solid wide receiver, too, for the week. So really kind of a similar question, Dan, that, that we talked about with Edmonds. Do we consider this kind of a sell-high uh, opportunity for Davis, get rid of him after that uh, after that good game, or is this a sign of things to come? I think it's more a sign of things to come. Uh, Corey Davis and A.J. Brown, for that matter, have both been on my buy list basically all season. Uh, when we're talking about the threat, at least, he's he's consistently been there because of, you know, Marcus Mariota holds him back a little bit, the offense holds him back a little bit, but then we see Tannehill come in and, and that offense gets opened up a little bit, which is kind of surprising to me. It always seemed 
like the offense is going to be geared more towards Henry first, Henry second, and then Henry third, and occasionally they throw a ball. But uh, I think we've seen a nice mix this year from Tennessee. Um, you know, Mariota did kind of limit the way that offense was run. So I think I think this is definitely a good sign for the future for Corey Davis. I'm I'm probably more in hold mode right now. I think after a big game, it'd be a tough time to buy unless unless you're still getting you know decent value. But because of the draft capital and because of how high Corey Davis had been previously until he kind of slowed down with the production, I feel like he'll probably jump back to to kind of where he peaked out and. And I think he'll probably just hold strong there. I, I don't see him as, as you know, like a, a fringe wide receiver one or even really like a high-end wide receiver two, but he's definitely approaching that, and, and I think his price is probably just shy of that as as we speak. Yeah, I agree. I, I think him and A.J. Brown could be a very formidable pair of wide receivers for years for the Titans. Um, Tannehill coming in helps, and I kind of look at it this way that – Mariota won't be back. Tannehill will. So Tannehill's your floor, and rookie or young guy to be named later is your ceiling. And I'll take that. Dan, you've got a strong contender right now. You're almost guaranteed to finish with the 111 or the 112 in your dynasty league. Are you flipping that pick for Corey Davis? I that's <laughs> That's about the break-even point for me, I think. I think my goal there would be if I'm ship, if I'm having to ship my first, I would probably ask for like a, a mid to late third back just just to pad it a little bit as an, a little bit of insurance. But if I was if I was squeezed a little bit in that in that situation and I needed a wide receiver, I'd probably make the move. You guys know this better than me, but how many likely rookies next year would you rather have at the wide receiver position than Davis? Is there six or seven? Yes, easily. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I'd probably so. I'd probably say even closer yeah. to ten. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next next topic. Next player we want to talk about, and this is more bad news. Melvin Gordon had a chance to win the game for the Chargers. Got two carries inside the one. Couldn't get it done. Actually fumbled both of them, and the Chargers lost a game. And in, in one of the, one of the toughest ways you could see, uh, he's been back for three weeks now, and uh, he he's scored a couple times, but overall again has just has not performed well we heard stories during Ezekiel Elliott's holdout about how hard he was working staying in shape things like that I don't think that was the case with Melvin Gordon uh, he is the <laughs> RB 31 in the past three weeks since he's been back and, and playing for the Chargers it really feels like he's held them back there the, the team is also 0 and 3 during that time and uh of course, with Gordon back on the field, Austin Eckler's role has been uh, not limited, but but slightly diminished from what it was the first several weeks of the season. So uh, overall, this this feels like it's been a downgrade for that that team, and it's certainly been a downgrade for Melvin Gordon's value. Dan, what do we do with this guy? Well, Melvin's been a liability out there so far, and and I think I mean you you kind of alluded to it a little bit with the Zeke talk, but I think it's clear he wasn't in game shape and ready to go. And mentally, I'm not sure he's he's you know in in game mode either. He's he came back to collect his checks. I think losing all that money got old fast, and um, it, it's just he came back to to get paid, and and 
This one's kind of a tough one. I feel like people might jump ship quick, so it might be a good opportunity to buy a once highly thought of running back who maybe wasn't the most talented, but but had a, a really good uh, situation and is good enough to be considered, I would say, fairly above average. I wouldn't call him elite, and I don't think at any point in his career he's been elite, but he's been good, and that's not the Melvin Gordon we're looking at right now. So I think... I think if people are ready to jump ship, I'm I'm probably putting on my my buyer's glasses and and going to the market. But if people are holding like smart owners should be, uh, I, I would be hard pressed to go out and offer you know top thirty value for Melvin Gordon right now, just because I don't think he's going to produce the way we once saw, and um, at least not while he's with the Chargers. Yeah, I hope the Chargers quickly realize that Ekelar gives them a better chance to win. And we got a week until the trade deadline. I have a hunch that when we talk next Tuesday, Gordon might not be a charger. I mean, could he go to Buffalo, Tampa, the Lions now, the carry-ons out? I mean, I would be selling him much cheaper if I'm the Chargers after seeing him on the field these last couple weeks. I still think he's a quality player. Um, I'd much rather have Joe Mixon. I would no way pay top 36 overall value for him. I'll go back to the same question. Late first rounder versus Melvin Gordon. Pick. Uh, the, the, these, these are the, tef- these are the tough situations, Dan. These, I mean, these are really the players, like I said, that dynasty owners have to make decisions on this week. And I really feel like we always need to be making decisions because there's either opportunities to, be- to buy or sell every day, every week. And the value is always changing. We're certainly seeing it change with Gordon, Corey Davis, Edmonds, Mixon, guys like that. Yeah, I think it would take a mid a mid first probably for for me to to move Gordon, but I'm not sure I'm buying for that yeah, late that's first. That's fair. That's fair. I went the pick. Yeah. All right. Let's hit on a little bit of news. This is less related to Week Seven and and kind of more going forward. First of all, carry on Johnson. Uh, actually, that is related to Week 7, hurt his knee in Week 7, missed most of the game, and now has landed on the injured reserve list. It looks like uh, rookie Ty Johnson is uh, next in line to take over uh, what will probably end up being a committee uh, committee backfield moving forward, or maybe they trade for Melvin Gordon. We've got Matt breaking some news here or, or – <laughs> Let, letting out some rumors. I, I don't know what I don't know what happened there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Dan, what do you do with Carryon Johnson? He's got a long list of um, injuries in his history. Of course, dating back to high school and college, for the most part, has been able to play through them. But in his first two years with the Lions, it's been knee issues, and it has cost him. Uh, multiple games, six games last year, and it looks like it's going to cost him. Uh, between eight and 10 games this year. Yeah, I think, I think this one for me is as much as you'd think it'd be a sell low. I I think his October ADP was, was somewhere in the late second. And even if you have to take a discount and go down to maybe a late third or an early fourth, I think that's probably where his value should have been. And if him being on the IR slides him down and, and some other owners mine into that range, I think it's, it's probably more of a fair swap than a sell low. Um, I would I would probably look to move on that sooner rather than later, 
just because I think the longer he sits and waits while he's he's injured, the less value he'll have. That you know everything's still kind of fresh in people's minds. There's still plenty of people out there that that were high on carry carry on Johnson, aren't worried about this for future. Um, I was never really really high on carry on Johnson, but the fact that that he was kind of slung into a potential bell cow situation. Obviously, you chase usage, you chase those opportunities. Um, but if I can get out right now for, uh, let's say, a top 40 asset, uh, I would do that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I still like the player a lot. I like the situation. I think Stafford's playing better than ever. But the injury factor in history is, you know, substantial, I guess. He's still young. Um, I might be a little higher on him than that. Well, let's do this just to kind of put a bow on this conversation. We've talked about Melvin Gordon, Joe Mixon, Carryon Johnson. Let's rank those guys moving forward in Dynasty. Dan, we'll start with you. I take Mixon one pretty comfortably. Uh, I still think I'd take Carryon two and Melvin three. I would as well with noticeable gaps between all three. Yep, I'm, I'm with, with both of you agree there. Uh, we've seen a couple of trades. This is this is the time of year. This time last year, one year ago, this week, we saw Amari Cooper traded. We saw uh, Golden Tate and Demarius Thomas, Carlos Hyde. Lots of action around the NFL a year ago, and it looks like we're going to see the same thing. We woke up to news after the Patriots won on Monday night that they had traded their second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu. Uh, there's... There's plenty of dots to be connected here. Um, Sanu is reportedly a guy that they that the Patriots have tried to trade for in the past. We know about the Rutgers connection between Bill Belichick uh, and, and uh, that school, and, and really having having that relationship and, and really chasing players from that school. That's of course where Sanu went years ago. I don't know. It feels to me like if this was any other team in the league, we would be blasting them for giving a second round <laughs> pick for Mohamed Sanu. Dan, is that how you feel? It's an interesting one. I, I look at Mohamed Sanu and I see a really good football player. I've never really seen a super high end fantasy asset. And, and when we get into the depths of this, it, it's hard to sometimes separate the two because you most certainly can have a very good football player that isn't a good fantasy asset. Um, and Mohamed Sanu has been serviceable for the most part during his career. Uh, I feel like I wouldn't have paid a second as an NFL franchise. However, they are getting themselves a really good football player, and I think there was a little more to it. I think they were maybe trying to set the tone, try to set the standard as far as teams having to go out and try to buy more wide receivers, and obviously that didn't really help a whole lot because we see Emmanuel Sanders, who I think we can all agree is is a much better player than Mohamed Sanu, but they got him for less. So I think it's it's a combination of New England loving him. Uh, you, you mentioned all the connections. Sanu being a, a pretty darn good football player in his own right. And, you know, I, I like I said, I wouldn't have paid a second. I think a fourth or, or maybe a third for Sanu and a fifth, something like that, would have made a whole heck of a lot more sense. But that's why we're sitting here, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to question anything they do uh, based on their success, but that one was that one was certainly a surprise. Real quick on that, I, I mean, uh, a couple notes is second set seems like a lot. Like my jaw dropped when I read that. I was like, wow, but that's going to be pick 60, 61, 62. You know, at the earliest, it's going to be pick sixty. I mean, it's a late as late second can be. And the other notice wanted to make is I think there'll be. 
I, I mean, the trick plays he can do, the he's going to help as a blocker. I don't think it's an accident that Gronk is gone and they're giving up a second for Sanu and a first for Nikhil Harry, who are both really big physical slots. I think they might see some Aaron Hernandez in both those guys. Well, we... <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not yeah, in the just, crazy just, just, so just on, the field, on the field hopefully <laughs> so Sanu from a dynasty or, or even just a, uh, any fantasy perspective how much should we bump him up my initial thought was this guy really needs to be a riser in, in rankings and I, I moved him up uh, quite a bit in my own wide receiver rankings but then you you think about it a little bit more. He was basically the wide receiver three on a pass-happy Falcons offense. Now he's probably, depending on Josh Gordon's health, the wide receiver three on um, on a team that probably would rather run more than they pass uh, or at least run more than the Falcons will. Does he deserve a big jump in our rankings, Dan? I don't think a big jump is, is really necessary. I think he, it's going to be kind of a lateral move. Uh, I think we can expect Nikhil Harry back soon. Uh, I worry that maybe the Gordon injury is is a little more serious than we maybe were led to believe, uh, or potentially Julian Edelman. I know he had he had some lingering injuries, and, and I know he had a rib issue last. But um, I feel like I feel like at at you know best case scenario, it's a slight bump, but for the most part, it's just going to be lateral. Uh, I feel like he and, and Calvin Ridley kind of kind of split that wide receiver to work. I know Sanu. Uh, was upwards of 40 targets through through the first seven games here. So uh, he was definitely being used, and maybe the volume isn't quite that great for New England, but maybe it's just a little more, uh, you know, like Matt said, I, there might be some more of the, the tight end usage, the more the underneath intermediate stuff where he's catching four or five balls every game and only getting, you know, the 40 yards or whatever it happens to be, which as, I guess is a little bit of how he was used in Atlanta, but... Um. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's just a lateral move overall. Even though they did give up a second for him. Yeah, and it muddies things even more in New England, as if that situation isn't muddy enough with four or five running backs and now a million different pass catchers. Um, I think it hurts Gordon. I think it's well said. Maybe the, if there was a red flag for Gordon. Edelman's not young. I think it kills Dorsett. Um, it hurts Harry a little bit, but I don't know that I give Sanu a huge bump. All right, good stuff. Another player, uh, as Dan alluded to, was traded. Emmanuel Sanders goes from the Broncos to the 49ers. Uh, this is another one I'm not sure how I feel about. The 49ers obviously had to do something uh, at receiver. Dante Pettis has been a huge disappointment. Uh, Debo Samuel is now hurt. We'll see if he can come back soon. Their their receiver core just, just simply hasn't delivered. Even George Kittle has been a little bit of a disappointment at tight end. Maybe that has more to do with the success of their running game and the, the struggles of Jimmy Garoppolo. Do we like Manny Sanders in San Fran? Dan? I mean, it's hard not to like a wide receiver in the Shanahan offense with what should be a better than just serviceable quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. He hasn't looked it really this year. And obviously he's got limited pass catchers uh, really working only with George Kittle in that backfield. As like you said, the the wide receivers haven't really done a whole lot for him and they haven't done a whole lot for the team. So I think this is an addition to a much, much needed uh, position for San Francisco. I think it helps the entire offense to open up. 
but I'm not sure that it's necessarily a, a good thing for fantasy. You know, the the defense is going to focus on them. They know that the other wide receivers aren't going to be aren't going to be doing much of anything like they've been doing. So the defense really is going to have to focus in on Sanders and Kittle. Yes, that's one more option than what was previously there, but I don't I don't know that it's that big of an upgrade. I feel like I feel like getting you know wide receiver one slash two targets in in Denver uh, opposite Cortland Sutton really wasn't all that bad of a gig. Um, I mean, I get the move, I definitely do, and, and I hope for big things. I'm just I'm not sold on Jimmy G, and I think all around it's it's just kind of a it's just kind of a, a weird one. Yeah, and it's a one-year rental for the Niners, and I, I definitely think it makes him a better football team, but it might take him a week or three to figure out the system and feel comfortable, and then there's not that much fantasy season left, and I, I think, you know, Denver is obviously a better offense than Denver, but he may put up better numbers playing from behind in the fourth quarter than he will watching Tevin Coleman, you know, run the ball out in the fourth quarter with San Francisco. And maybe I'm crazy, but I still have a lot of hope for Pettis. I think he's really good. Yeah, you should be. Bu- agree you should me, be apparently. buying him then, <laughs> right? All right, guys. Next, uh, what we want to do is take a look back at the class of 2019. We spent some of this show uh, looking ahead at the potential class of 2020, but uh, we're still still thinking about that 2019 class and uh, the hits and the misses that we all had, and there were plenty on both sides. I think so. We're we're going to run through a rookie mock draft uh, a rookie mock draft do over here and see how some of these players have changed in value there's certainly going to be some players who were not first rounders who I expect to be selected in the first round here we'll take turns we're uh, we're strapped on time a little bit guys so we're just going to make our picks uh, feel free to throw out a quick comment if you have one but for the most part we want to see how these players have changed in value where they land uh, and in comparison to where they were in the offseason in the preseason when we all had our dynasty rookie drafts Dan, as our guest, we're going to give you the top overall pick. I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Uh, I I don't know if there's a hands-down 101. It sounds like you do. Uh, Matt will go second, I'll go third, and we'll alternate all the way through a couple rounds in this rookie draft do-over. Dan, who you got? Well, my preseason 101 was Josh Jacobs. My right now 101 is Josh Jacobs. He's looked extremely good all year, and not only did he have the draft capital, he gets he gets thrown into a bell cow situation, and he's thriving. So I, I think Josh Jacobs is the clear 101. Totally agree. I'm taking A.J. Brown with the second pick. I have hope for that team. I think he looks great. I don't understand why he's not playing every snap, but the snap counts are starting to go up. A lot of juju in A.J. Brown. I'm sure you see some of that too, uh, Ryan. I do, I do. A.J. Brown is my wide receiver one still in this class, uh, so I like that pick. Um, I'm going with Miles Sanders here at three, and honestly I would have considered him if I had that top overall pick. So I'm still certainly a believer in him. Maybe he's a guy I should be buying. Dan, back to you. It, it sounds like you should be buying Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, uh, one Oh four here, we're going to go with DK Metcalf. Uh, before he was in, in the pros, he was, he was all over my radar. One of my favorites coming out, 
Uh, still love the size and speed combination. He's he's growing that route tree, and he's looking really comfortable in Seattle. So uh, I'm loving myself some DK at this point. Yeah, I don't blame you. He would have been my pick too, and now I kind of look at things and don't love what I see. But I love TJ Hawkinson. I think Stafford's playing really well. I think Hawkinson's going to be a top five tight end very, very soon with the ceiling of being one overall. So uh, I know that's a little early, but I'm going to take him at five. Yeah, I don't think it is early. And I, I think I agree with you. After that top four, Jacobs, Brown, Sanders, and DK, it does feel like a little bit of uh, a separation or a teardrop there. Hawkinson makes some sense. I'm going to take uh, the preseason 101 of a lot of people, Nikhil Harry. Sounds like he'll be back uh, with the team soon, and hopefully we can see if he was worth that first-round pick. How are you guys going to let me get my top three rookies in the first three, <laughs> in the first three picks? I'm taking Hollywood Brown here at the the uh, in my pick. Um, I think the the preseason notion that he wasn't going to be able to do it, and the Ravens wasted that pick. I think those people didn't really watch Oklahoma football. Um, we're seeing everything we saw from Oklahoma. Yes, again, that includes the injuries, um, but he, when he's out there, he's he's definitely worth it. I'm going with McLaurin. Um, I'm sure the Redskins will add something at wide receiver, and they're maybe the most dysfunctional organization out there, but I still have hopes for Haskins, and I think he's been very impressive as a rookie. Yeah, this this is still a tough one. I like both of those picks, by the way. Uh, I do. Some of the concerns about Hollywood, you mentioned the injuries. We're already seeing that. The, uh, inconsistency was another concern. We've also seen that. So maybe that's uh, still makes him worthy of a first-round pick, though. So probably probably the right spot. Um, I Oh, this is, this is a tough one. I, I just can't pass up David Montgomery. We know about the struggles, the lack of usage, the – the Bears, uh, just the Bears offense in general. I'm kind of treating him like I was treating A.J. Brown in the offseason. It's more of a future pick than a uh, than a, a right-now pick or a short-term pick. I still believe in the talent, and th- there have got to be some changes on that Bears team, whether it's quarterback or the coaching staff or both. Definitely. That was, that, uh, was going to be my pick if it wasn't yours. I, I feel like Chicago is going to figure out how to use him correctly, and Nagy will take his head out of his butt, and, and we'll get that straightened away. Um, my pick here is going to be McCall Hardman, uh, Swiss Army Knife type. He's he's a lot like the Tariq Hill, um, but he, you know he can take it to the house at any time, and I love having guys like that. Yeah, great pick. I probably would have taken him there too. I'm going to go with Kyler Murray. I mean, it's a little chalkish, um, but I think he – I mean, could he be Lamar Jackson? I don't think that's crazy talk. I think he's a better passer. Um, I think that offense is coming along, and they run a lot of plays. So, a long-term starter. Yeah, Kyler was a great pick. That was actually who I was debating between uh, with with uh, Montgomery before I took him. At the 12th spot, the last pick of the first round, I am going to go with Noah Fant. Uh, really, some of the same com- same comments you had with with Hawkinson. I do think Hawkinson's flashed a little more, shown a little bit more than Fant has this year. But uh, looking forward to 2020 when hopefully the Broncos finally have a quarterback. Yeah, once once Denver gets straightened out, that'll that'll definitely be a, a yeah. A we'll one. we'll see. <laughs> um, as for Noah Fant, I don't think he's looked great, but
But one thing that is great that I have not told you guys about in way too long is our buddies over at Harry's. And I've been hooked on Harry's for a long time. I had a lot of problems when I would use a blade. I'd end up with bumps and red face. And so I went to an electric. And now I've been back on Harry's for quite some time. It's a phenomenal product. I very much urge you to check it out. Um, their return is to the, what they do is they return back to the essential with quality, durable blades at a very fair price. Only $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman. They manufacture blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century now, which means you get incredibly high quality bl blades at a factory direct price. Harry's is also super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk for you to try them out. If, if you don't love your shave, just let them know and they'll give you a full refund, of course. So, listeners to our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com dynasty. You'll get a weighted, wonderful handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and smells great, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So... Go to harrys.com slash dynasty to start shaving better today. All right, before we start round two, let's recap round one really quickly. When Josh Jacobs at the 101, of course, A.J. Brown, Miles Sanders, D.K. Metcalf, Matt took T.J. Hawkinson, uh, Nikhil Harry, Hollywood Brown, Terry McLaurin uh, is is really the probably the story of this uh, this mock draft as he was a third rounder in most rookie drafts in the preseason and has jumped up to that first round as probably as we all expected him to at this point. Uh, David Montgomery's a faller. He falls down to nine. Mecole Hardman, Kyler Murray, Noah Fant round out the first round and Dan is going to get us started in round two. I'm going to go with ultra productive college player, Devin Singletary. Uh, I feel like when he's been on the field uh, with Buffalo, he's looked really good. Um, this week was, you know, coming back from injury, it didn't look all there quite yet. Maybe not a hundred percent, but, um, as far as before the injury, he looked really darn good. You're going to call me a Homer possibly, but I'll gladly take the Steelers number two wide receiver for the foreseeable future in Deontay Johnson. They love him. He's their number two until they spend a third rounder on another receiver next year. Um, no, <laughs> De Deontay Johnson has looked good. I think probably exceeded uh, everyone's expectations uh, so far. And uh, I, I hate to say it, there have been a few games where they have treated him as the wide receiver one on that team, yep. uh, seeing some plenty of targets, even more than my guy Juju. We'll see if they can get straightened out after their bye. I'm going to go with the wide receiver as well. I'll take uh, a guy who's been very quiet, very, very quiet, but I still have high hopes for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside at 15 overall, 2.3. I like that pick. That, um, that would have been in the discussion for my next one. I'm going to go with um, Daryl Henderson, Los Angeles Rams, uh, another guy that was, that was ultra-productive in college and, and found himself in a good situation. Even with Todd Gurley, I feel like he can produce. Irv Smith Jr., I like him more than Fant for Dynasty. Rudolph is no obstacle at all. They've been looking for a third receiver. He had a good pass week. I think he's very much on the rise. Yes, Smith actually finished as a tight end one, as a top 12 t tight end last week. So uh, his usage has been going up. Good sign for him. At 18, 2.06, I'll take Paris Campbell. And back to Dan. 
I will go with Preston Williams, somebody who I was adding all over the place after, mostly after drafts and, and just kind of freeing those end of bench spots. And it's looking to be okay at this point. Alexander Madison, like one cook injury away from being a top 10 running back and serviceable even with cook. All right. At the uh, 21 overall, I'm going to go with, uh, I've got to go with my guy, Damian Harris. We finally saw him get some action uh, in week seven as he was taking over for Sony Michelle late in that game. And I, I still see him playing, playing a big role for this Patriots team down the stretch. I like that one a lot. That was going to be my pick here. Uh, I'm going to go uh, with a faller. I'm going to take Debo Samuel. I feel like he, he's got enough in the tank to, to pull something out. Um, and maybe having Manny there will help him. Yeah, those are the two guys I wanted to take. Um, I will probably go a little off the board, though, and take Dawson Knox, another tight end. A lot of ability. I think he'll clearly be their number one. All right, that makes my last pick easy. I'm going to take Justice Hill, the Ravens running back. Uh, really similar to Damian Harris in, in that Hasn't gotten very much run yet this year, but I, I'm still counting on him, not only for the long term, but for a role this year. I would even be rostering him in, in deeper redraft leagues if possible. Uh, so that gets us through round two. I'll run back over that one really quickly. It went Devin Singletary, Deontay Johnson, certainly a riser since the, uh, since the offseason and preseason. Arcega Whiteside, Daryl Henderson, Irv Smith. Paris Campbell, Preston Williams, another guy who has jumped way up. He went undrafted in many rookie drafts. Uh, Alexander Madison, Damian Harris, Debo Samuel, Dawson Knox, and Justice Hill to wrap it up. A few players who went undrafted uh, who were certainly uh, prime targets pre in the preseason, Andy Isabella, Tony Pollard. Uh, then you're getting down into guys like Miles Boykin, Jalen Hurd, uh, and Keyshawn Johnson. So we're, we're starting to kind of get into that third round range a little bit. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. We, we really appreciate it. We hope to have you back next week. Oh yeah, I'll be here. All right, perfect. <laughs> we'll be covering week eight and we will be here. We promise. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>